Defence Dialogue, a podcast discussing contemporary challenges in the area of European security and defence. Brought to you by the Martin Centre with Nicholas Novaki. Welcome everyone to um, another episode of the uh, Martin Centre's uh, Defence Dialogue podcast. It's very nice to have you uh, join us uh, for another episode uh, from, ever, uh, from wherever you might be joining us. So thanks a lot. Uh, my name is uh, Dr. Nicholas Novaki, again, and uh, with me here today we have uh, uh, Mr. Alvaro de la Cruz from the uh, uh, communications team uh, joining us uh, for another interesting episode of the uh, Defense Dialogue series. And like I mentioned last week, and when I uh, spoke about the um, issue of the EU strategic autonomy, I also like had wanted to do an episode on this new strategic compass initiative. And uh, today's episode will be focused on the uh, EU's forthcoming strategic compass, like which for the next two years or so like will be the um, EU's flagship security and, and, and defense initiative going forward. So what is the strategic compass? Well, it's, it's an initiative of the German EU Council presidency that Germany began to develop and think in the run-up to its uh, autumn 2020 uh, EU Council presidency because the German Defense Ministry thought that there's a bit of a gap between the EU's overall ambitions in the area of security and defense and then the actual reality of like what the EU does. So like there's quite a, the ambitions are, are quite high, uh, but, but then when conflicts, crises or other challenges emerge, I mean EU external action like often falls short of the uh, expectations. And in addition, like there's a need to just clarify the overall image of um, EU defense cooperation that the new initiatives that have been launched uh, since 2016 like have created. So initiatives like permanent structured cooperation, the coordinated annual review on defense and, and the uh, new European Defense Fund. So that, that was the premise uh, in, in, uh, in Germany. And uh, the German defense ministry initially thought about developing uh, strategic concept, uh, but the strategic concept idea uh, was considered a bit too close to existing NATO terminology because NATO already has a, a strategic uh, concept and some, some NATO hawks considered it a bit too close to like what the NATO is doing. And uh, in addition, then the ministry considered the strategic uh, compass term a little bit more reflective of the overall aims of, of, of the uh, initiative and what they want to uh, do with it. And in Brussels, the strategic compass really became a discussion point first in uh, late 2019. Uh, people started to um, uh, discuss it here, and it was um, discussed in um, several events. Um, and initially, there was a little bit of unclarity of like what the strategic compass would look like and like how it would fit into the existing kind of uh, structure of EU strategic documents and would it for example replace the existing uh, 2016 global strategy but then over time it was specified that the compass would basically boost the implementation of existing documents like the global strategy um, and and the 2016 implementation plan on, on uh, security and defense like rather than uh, replace them and in addition to this aim, boosting the implementation of these existing documents, uh, the Strategic Compass has several other aims, namely contributing to the development of a more shared European strategic culture, um, defining future orientations and uh, goals uh, in several different areas, and then 
just clarifying the overall image of EU defense cooperation that the uh, new, new initiatives uh, that I mentioned earlier have created. And uh, the development process itself like, was formally launched in uh, June uh, of this year, um, when the EU defense ministers in the council tasked uh, the high representative to uh, present uh, to the ministers a joint uh, comprehensive 360-degree threat analysis uh, that would then serve as the basis on which the strategic compass itself would be, um, would be prepared. And this threat analysis was presented uh, to the EU defense ministers on the 20th of November, so very recently. And it, it's a classified intelligence document to which the EU member states, uh, civilian and military, intelligence services have contributed, and then the uh, European External Action Service's uh, single intelligence capacity has kind of aggregated the different inputs and created uh, a joint document, which was not importantly endorsed by the member states. Um, they simply took note of it. But the idea, the reason for that was that the External Action Service wanted to create a, like a truly common document that would reflect all the concerns that the member states would have, because otherwise, uh, like getting the formal uh, approval from the member states like would have uh, uh, really delayed the process and made it a bit more tricky. Uh, going forward, the, the member states will now engage in uh, strategic dialogue on the threat analysis and, and the issues that the strategic compass will focus on in, in early 2021. And then the first draft of the document will be presented to the uh, ministers in, the no in November of uh, 2021. And the idea is to get the whole thing adopted in spring 2022 during the French EU Council presidency by the member states, which means that it'll have considerable political weight also because it'll be adopted uh, by the council. And just finally, like before we kind of start the discussion, the actors that will be involved um, will be obviously the member states. It's a member state uh, driven initiative. Um, but also the European External Action Service uh, will have a key role, the European Defence Agency and then the European Commission. At the moment, like it's, it doesn't look like the European Parliament will have at least a direct role, but then officials uh, like who have knowledge of the strategic compass process and who are involved in the process have told me that uh, um, the European Parliament and national parliaments as well will be kept up to date and, and will try to be consulted uh, during the process. So we'll have an interesting uh, 2021 and 2022 uh, when it comes to the uh, strategic compass. Well, good afternoon. Uh, thank you, Nicholas. Uh, it's, a, it's a great pleasure to be with you once again uh, to discuss this uh, uh, timely, interesting topic. Um, I wanted to, to start asking you about a specific area of the strategic compass that I think is, is very keen, uh, uh, the threat analysis. It is the very first time we have such a thing in the European Union. And if I didn't read uh, incorrectly, uh, it is going to be uh, developed and written by the European uh, Action Service, External Action Service, and led by the, the high rep. And it would include the input by the member states, but not their voting uh, for it. So do you think any kind of uh, political agenda uh, driven by top officials of the European External Action Service or Mr. Bure could condition or... or uh, alter the, the the common interest of the European Union uh, 27. Do you do you know if any member state presented any any issue or any concern about this? I don't think there's a there will be a political like problem of it, and I don't think anybody can 
like anybody from the external action service um, or any like have has kind of a personal um, like political political agenda in highlighting certain things or keeping um, like certain things out. Um, perhaps it would have been a bit more tricky. I mean, if it would have been um, adopted by the member states, because like then that would have created a lot more like intense uh, discussions about like I mean about things like threat pri prioritization hierarchies of threats i mean which threats like would be more important than others and like which on which threats like should the eu focus on in the strategic compass but now because it wasn't formally endorsed uh, by the member states uh, the, uh, it, it creates a kind of more comprehensive overview which i think uh, is good in uh, time uh, time uh, saving as well going forward with regards to any possible problems, I think the, there will be one challenge um, that like the EU always has to deal with, and it's the evolving political agenda. Um, you can ask, for example, if, um, if um, the member states will stick to the threat analysis, like when preparing the strategic compass in 2021, if something unexpected happens in the political agenda and a something similar to the uh, uh, Russian annexation of Crimea in 2014 happens, like which would then completely like transform the EU's like threat perception and and, and agenda. So in that sort of situation, um, it's 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 questionable to what extent the member states would want to stick to the existing analysis. But overall, I, I think it's a very valuable effort because it's the first time ever that the EU has engaged in such a high-level uh, joint threat analysis process. I mean, there have been. Other threat analysis produced by the EAS in the past, but but never as comprehensive, and, and they have never been discussed in such a high level. Usually, they've been prepared for the consumption of bureaucrats and officials, but now the ambassadors from the member states and the ministers themselves, like, will be involved uh, in discussing the analysis, and and I think it's a good step. Okay, okay, thank you. It is uh, promising and and a very positive um, uh, thing then uh, to, to 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 be to be um, uh, in a moment in which all of the member states at least uh, verbally express their, their agreement with this uh, threat analysis, which is, I think, uh, essential. To continue with it, um, I read that there, there's four main areas uh, in this analysis that are uh, capital, crisis management, resilience, capabilities, and partnerships. I'm particularly interested in the capabilities uh, uh, domain uh, at what extent do you think uh, we are going to move forward in this? Because it's a, it's a very long debate in the European Union for years that if at least the main, the main uh, member states do a sharing of capabilities and technology, we could spend less, much less money and have much stronger resources and, and capabilities. In this particular area, do you see in this uh, strategic uh, compass a, a good progress? Absolutely, uh, and I think the strategic compass will be very important in the uh, capabilities uh, cluster. And I think the capabilities cluster will probably be one of the uh, most concrete and most uh, important for the overall uh, document. The good thing is that the overall picture has already been created uh, since 2016 with, with things like the revised capability development plan, uh, permanent structure cooperation, uh, the coordinated annual review on defense and, and then the European Defense Fund. And then the COMPASS, uh, as far as I understand, will seek to kind of provide further guidance to these initiatives and, and then provide some ideas on what sort of issues they should focus like in, in the uh, short to medium term, so in the next five to ten years. 
And especially because all of these initiatives like were launched like since the um, publication of the 2016 Global Strategy, I, I think it's, it's a very good way, the strategic compass, uh, that is to kind of increase coherence and, and, and uh, coordination uh, among these initiatives and like clarify how they are all uh, linked uh, together and how they form a coherent single system. The only challenge in this area, I think, is that the EU might even focus a bit too much on the capability side. So making the strategic compass a very technical capability development type uh, document. Mm -hmm. And if this would happen, I mean, then the problem would be that it would have very little penetrative power in the media spheres and, and, and uh, political spheres outside Brussels, because there's only a handful of people in, outside Brussels who read such documents. And, and uh, I think the capabilities and the capability development initiatives should be discussed mainly at the kind of higher political level in order to give political guidance uh, for the future development. Okay. Well, I don't think that would be the first time uh, a Brussels, uh, a European Union um, document remains in Brussels and don't, don't, doesn't create much interest. No, certainly not the first <laughs> and not neither the last. Let's, let's hope this is not one, one other case. Um, well, as you mentioned, this is, uh, in strict terms, the very first uh, military doctrine by the European Union. Um, is this the case because we achieved uh, that political maturity or because we have uh, a more threatened situation for the European Union interest? Or is it the case because now we can move forward once the Brits are out and st stop blocking our our uh, military common strategy? Well, I think it has to do a bit with a little bit of, like all of the things you actually mentioned. Like it's difficult to point out a single thing. I mean, the, the 2016 Brexit referendum and, and the UK's departure from the EU has certainly liberated the EU to discuss and develop like some initiatives that the UK um, used to um, oppose uh, as, a, as an EU member, and it has kind of made the discussion on, on EU defense cooperation a lot more free-flowing, um, so to say. But there's also a strong awareness that the EU security environment, both regionally and then at the global level, has like become quite turbulent in the past year. So like we have conflicts um, all around the EU's borders, and then the global landscape has become a lot more unpredictable due to the uh, increasing uh, great power rivalry between the United States and China, um, the, the confrontation between uh, democracy and authoritarianism, and, and the increasing competition for raw materials and uh, other resources. And I think all of these factors have kind of led the EU and that is the member states and, and, and the institutions to realize that, that the member states need to kind of figure out more clearly what sort of security and defense actor the EU wants to be and, and uh, what, it, what do they want the EU to do in this area. And like this is why they've launched the strategic compass process. That's why you hear calls from the Commission for the EU to be a more geopolitical actor and to learn the uh, language of power, like so to say. Um, but the this is it's it's important that these initiatives like would sound very good and promising also then deliver and 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 um, they don't end up being like just um, hollowed documents in the uh, shelves of, of uh, officials who work on these uh, documents. I mean they 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 need to actually like deliver concrete results, especially with regards to capabilities. Great, thank you once again. Um, 
Now I want to look a little bit at the immediate future. Um, this was um, uh, launched and boosted by the German presidency of the council. Now that is going to be ending in a couple of weeks. And then we, I mean, with all the love and respect to uh, our Portuguese and Slovene friends, that is, uh, those two are not uh, that strong member states. The leadership is not as, 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 as big. So, uh, first of all, do you think that the Portuguese and the Slovene uh, presidencies of the, of the Council will be um, strong enough, uh, they would have the, 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 the leadership required to, to continue working for the implementation of this, uh, of this strategic compass? And also, you mentioned the adoption will be in, in early 2022. Uh, then, what is going to happen? For how long this strategic compass is it going to be in place? How is it going to be developed? Uh, can we can we talk about the next few years about about the, the next steps? So the idea is to kind of provide guidance for the EU security and defense policy for the next five to ten years, like in in the, in, in the strategic compass. Mm -hmm. So that's like 2025, 2030 spectrum, like roughly. Um, the the follow up will be absolutely key, I think. And when the document is developed, I think the EU needs to um, outline very clearly, like how uh, the document will be followed up, like what sort of steps like will be need need to be taken for um, it to be like implemented accurately. And then also, I think it's very important that the member states like clarify very explicitly which EU documents uh, the, the compass might render outdated or which documents might have to be updated because of the, um, the, the, the compass. I mean, I think it's, it's very easy to imagine that we might need a new implementation plan on security and defense after the strategic compass, if the compass sets a new direction uh, for the EU security and defense policy. Um, so then we might have to um, revise uh, that document and, and adopt a new one. Also, I think eventually we'll have to like, get get a new global strategy as well, um, because it, it was it's from uh, 2016, and since then the UK has left the EU. Um, Trump was Trump was president. Um, the, this overall security environment, both regionally here in Europe and then globally, has become a lot more unpredictable, and it's it's um, it looks a little dubious in my opinion, the extent to which any EU uh, security document should be based on the existing assumptions of the 2016 uh, global strategy. Um, with regards to the uh, council presidencies, um, I think at the moment, I mean, all, all EU member states seem to be like rather interested in the initiative. There was initially like some skepticism over the, um, over the compass, but then that was overcome. Um, because the member states saw the added um, value of the document. Like France, for example, was initially a bit reluctant, uh, a bit against the initiative, but then uh, for several reasons. Also because it was an initiative of the German presidency and because it, it creates synergies between the German and the French presidency. Uh, the French uh, came on board. Um, the good thing is that like, we have a pretty um, clearly laid out plan how it should be developed uh, in, in 2021. So I don't think there will be um, the changing presidencies like will will com really uh, complicate the process. Well, uh, that's great. It seems like we are um, actually developing a, a kind of a magic compass like the one of uh, Jack Sparrow that doesn't point always the north, but rather what you <laughs> desire. So it is good because it will always point what we need in the European Union. I think uh, this was uh, this was a very interesting. 
conversation, a very keen topic for the moment, especially with the rising threats of the European Union. Uh, thank you once again, Nicholas, for inviting me. I was uh, delighted to, to be with you in this uh, foggy morning in Brussels. And, uh, and uh, thank you. Thanks a lot. But let me just say like one comment on Jack Sparrow's like, compass I can't uh, resist. And I think that's actually a great a uh, great uh, analogy, uh, because indeed, like in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, I mean, the compass that he uses points to um, uh, what he desires. Um, and then you could say that, like, one of the key challenges for the European Union is indeed to figure out, like, what it collectively desires, because the compass, like, should indeed, like, point to what the, where the EU con collectively decides to go or desires to go, not where any individual member states or the member states individually desire to go because otherwise you just end up getting a very unclear overall picture. So long story short, I, I think the compass needs to be calibrated extremely carefully to ensure that it'll always point to, to where the EU wants to go uh, and define a clearly defined um, strategic north uh, for the EU security and defense policy. Thanks a lot again. Thank you. That was today's episode of Defence Dialogue. Subscribe to our podcasts for more.